You're listening to Senior Rx Radio, brought to you by ASCP. Visit us online at ascp.com/podcasts. ASCP: Empowering Pharmacists, Transforming Aging. Hello, welcome to the Senior Care Pharmacist Podcast. This is Donna Bartlett, your host. Today we have with us an interprofessional group of guests. And this is so exciting for me. This group of interprofessional caregivers are all a part of the University of Maryland School of Pharmacy, of Medicine, and of Hearing and Speech Sciences. So today we have with us Daniel Mansour. He is with the School of Pharmacy. Hi, Daniel. Thank you for joining us. Sure. Thanks for having me. And we also have Dr. Eric Hoover. He's with the University of Maryland Department of Hearing and Speech Sciences. Welcome, Eric. Thank you. We have Dr. Rona Herzano, and she is part of the University of Maryland School of Medicine. Thank you for joining us, Rona. Thank you. And Dr. Nicole Brandt. She is also with the University of Maryland School of Pharmacy. And I'd also like to mention that the School of Pharmacy, the, the people that are joining us are also part of the Peter Lammy Center on Drug Therapy and Aging. So welcome to you too, Nicole. Thank you, Dr. Bartlett. Thank you. So today we are going to be discussing your manuscript that you have your study that you did for the Senior Care Pharmacist publication that came out in July of 2022. And the product that you guys have put together and have done research on is Senior Care Pharmacist, Audiologist, and Otologist, Improving Hearing Health for Older Patients Through Interprofessional Collaboration. So with this article, when I read it, and first of all, really, when I saw the title, I was just like, wow, this is really interesting that we have this hearing side of things with pharmacists. And so that caught my eye. And then thinking about all of the interprofessional impact that this has. So this article targeted so many levels of not only hearing health, but this interprofessional collaboration and the role that pharmacists can make in patient health. So I just am so excited to hear how this all came about. And so first, I'd love to ask, how do you all come to collaborating together? As we said, this is not necessarily the most common group of collaborators of healthcare. And I would just love to know how this all came about in this unique fashion. Sure, Donna. I'll take a stab at this. This is Nicole. First, I think it's important for our listeners to have an understanding of our system, and that would be the University of Maryland educational system. So Dr. Hoover is from College Park, one of our sister campuses, and we're based in Baltimore, where it's an interprofessional campus with the schools of pharmacy, medicine, nursing, social work, law, physical therapy, dentistry. And I mentioned that because we have a longstanding history of geriatrics and gerontology on our campus. And so over the last Almost we're going into six years, we've been providing a course to our community called Aging in Place that Dr. Mansour is the interprofessional coordinator for. And so this course aims to train our future professionals. And every semester is a little different on who our professional team members are, as well as work with our community to help them aging in place. And as we'll talk about through this podcast, hearing is an important aspect of that. The other thing is the University of Maryland educational programs are really trying to do more regarding age-friendly 
educational universities and programmatic themes. So one of our programmatic themes is to work with our campuses to, again, uh, promote age-friendly initiatives to help our communities. So this is really a win-win, and I'd like to turn it over to Dr. Mansour to talk a little bit about that connection with College Park and how that started. Oh, thank you, Dr. Brandt. It was back in 2016 when we first met with the students and the faculty uh, from uh, the audiology department uh, in College Park, like you mentioned. And we gave an orientation at the time to all, uh, to the students and the faculty. And ever since they joined us, being part of this uh, wonderful team ever since. Back then, we um, had the students actually come to our community a couple of times, community outreaches that we had, and, and they gave educational sessions. And it was actually a, a new endeavor uh, to, to have and, uh, you know, have them speak to the community, the older adults, as well as the interprofessional students. I am very, very thankful, actually, to Dr. Herzano for reconnecting again and uh, giving a couple of talks, actually, in the community uh, to the older adults as well as Dr. Brandt uh, coming over several times, also addressing hearing loss in the context of uh, fall prevention, and also Dr. Hoover for his uh, support. So uh, we look forward to actually collaborating even more. That's great. Thank you so much for, you know, really bringing this forth and sharing your information with the community of senior care pharmacists. So as you know, like, and we know that hearing loss can have many effects on one's health, including falls and dementia. And I'm just curious to know if we could maybe elaborate a bit more on the health consequences of hearing loss in older adults. I think, um, Dr. Herzano, you were going to share with us some of your findings. Certainly. So I think that to begin with, it's important to understand that to have hearing loss is human. Right, that you can even Google how old are my ears, and based on different uh, frequencies you can hear, you can uh, find an approximation of your age. And therefore, it's not a big surprise that by age 70, 50% of our population has a hearing loss that requires treatment, or what the WHO will consider as a disabling hearing loss if not treated. This hearing loss, which is at the level of uh, mild to moderate in uh, half of the population, obviously in a smaller percentage, uh, even uh, more severe, results in uh, initially just uh, some cognitive overload, so engagement of additional parts of the brain in order to understand normal speech, difficulty in understanding speech in a situation where there is background noise, which is most of the social situations that we're in, change in behavioral patterns, right? Individuals may be less likely to engage in a conversation or people may be less likely to engage with them or ask them only more essential things because they know that they're maybe not getting everything or they're going to be asked to repeat what they say. At a later stage, and even mild to moderate hearing losses have been shown to increase significantly the risk for dementia. And the Lancet Commission on Dementia that was one of their main findings, which ultimately led to the change uh, in legislation and uh, what is now going to be uh, available as over-the-counter hearing aids effective this fall. And then, of course, there is uh, the risk of falls. The causality is a good question, right? Is it that what, what is the reason that people with a hearing loss that is not treated are at a higher risk for dementia or for falls? Is it because the, these people or this group of people 
have mutations or deficits in proteins that are expressed in the ear and in other locations. And that risk is independent of whether the hearing loss is treated or not is a question that we don't have a good answer for yet. There are several very large studies looking to see whether treatment can reduce the risk for, for example, the dementia. But what we do know is that there are very significant social and functional consequences. And for this reason, we became uh, very aggressive in recent years in uh, treating hearing loss in the elderly and from very similar to how maybe 20 years ago, it was okay to be uh, older and to have a little bit of high blood pressure, right? Because high blood pressure happens with aging. And now we know that high blood pressure that is not treated puts individuals at a very significant risk for stroke or cardiac disease. Similarly, we are no longer lenient and casual about the fact that someone has a mild to moderate hearing loss and where we think that it is very important to treat. That's great. And it is so important to treat. And I, and I think about people I know that struggle with hearing loss and you do see that change in them over time. So yes, thank you. That was just a great explanation of all the things that can occur with hearing loss and folks. So yes, so important. So I'd like to move on. And I think we know, and I think you, you know, might have addressed this a little bit is that we don't necessarily seek evaluation quickly or we kind of live with hearing loss for some time before we actually do something about it. So I know that hearing loss can persist for years just before anyone even tries to be evaluated. How can we promote earlier screening and assistance? And are we going to be, you know, needing to do this, it sounds like? Are there some online tools? Are there like some kind of hearing tests that or something easy to promote screening for this? And I believe Dr. Hoover, you are going to take this question. Sure. Yeah, we uh, identified, you know, decades ago the importance of hearing ability and treatment for difficulty hearing in children, and implemented universal newborn hearing screening. That's been extremely effective. You know, we we screen children at birth, and we screen children at, when they're school age, uh, in order to make sure that when they are going through the critical speech and language development years, they have access to sound. Now we have very good evidence, as Dr. Hosano just went through, that untreated hearing loss in, in older adults has serious consequences, but we don't have comparable screening programs for, for older adults. Hearing loss is very different in older adults, and, and you know, many older adults have th- than it might be in, in children, the sort of needs of testing our children. What we recommended in the, the article that we recently published is a questionnaire-based screening, effectively asking the person questions about about their hearing. And we specifically recommended the hearing handicap inventory uh, for the elderly, the screening version of that, which is a 10-question screening tool that asks patients about how hearing loss affects different aspects of their, how their hearing affects different aspects of their life. And if a patient's score on that 10-question screening is 10 or above, then that indicates that they have at least a mild handicap related to hearing. In other words, they feel that their hearing is a barrier to participating in activities that they want to do. Activities like communicating with friends and relatives, attending religious services, enjoying going out to a restaurant. And that simple 10-question screening has been shown to be highly effective in identifying people who would benefit from hearing healthcare. Basically, if, if a person tells you that they're concerned about their hearing, that is in itself an effective screening. Now, you can certainly do hearing-related 
testing and those tools are available. And some may be available as a, a kiosk with headphones where someone could test their hearing. There's certainly apps. For example, the WHO recently adopted, kind of officially adopted a hearing screening app called, that app is called uh, Hear Who, Hear WHO, all one word. And that is, you know, a widely available research-based app for screening hearing. And that is a uh, digits, it's based on a digits and noise test that has decades of research behind it, where a person listens to sequences of three digits where there are there's other speech and sound in the background that's making it difficult for them to hear that. That test is available online. There are websites that, that have had it for self-testing. The big website that had it at KU Leuven was recently taken down because of regulatory issue. But it, the Hear Who app is available. It uses the same digits and noise test. And it's available in English, Spanish, and Mandarin. And that was developed out of a group from Pretoria, South Africa, Cass Smith and Dues Wanapol, and, uh, and their colleagues there with where their their concerns in, in South Africa, you know, they have a lot of, they have a population that is very underserved by hearing healthcare professionals. Uh, many people don't have access to care. And so that's kind of the, the solution that they were trying to solve with that. Hundreds of thousands of people have tested themselves on that app. A recent study came out about that and and it's it's an effective way to do screening. But, you know, we, we do recommend that sort of questionnaire-based screening in the in the article though. That's great. And I'm so glad that there are things available for people. So, I mean, it's great that we're talking about this and that, you know, there's like you guys have shown this interprofessional education and I'm learning so much today just by having this conversation with all of you. And, and I'm glad that there are tools already that I can talk to people about. So, so thank you for that. So just moving on a little bit, I know your article talked a bit about pharmacists, you know, being the folks that people can come and see and, you know, maybe start asking some questions. But I'm just thinking about like the evolution of pharmacy too. And so pharmacists have had quite an increase in responsibilities recently with vaccinations and COVID testing. And now they're prescribing for COVID treatments. And yet there's still need to like continue to fill prescriptions and review and counsel patients too. So we can't leave behind what we do while we're adding on these other wonderful things that is wonderful that people can go to a pharmacy and be able to get the care that they need in a timely fashion. But with this, you know, we're, we're recommending that pharmacists add this assistance to their current practice. How? How are they going to fit that in? Or what are some of the things that we want to be, you know, helping pharmacists be able to help people and not necessarily add too much more to what they're already doing. So I think, Dr. Mansour, you are going to take this question. Yeah, thanks, uh, Dr. Bartlett. So yeah, finding the time, I get it. Uh, there's, uh, there's no question that the responsibilities get even more significant when we factor in providing medication therapy consults, the careful attention to quality assurance with each patient's prescription and other responsibilities. Indeed, uh, community uh, pharmacists who constitute probably about 40 to 50% of uh, our workforce have their hands full as they uh, provide care. Well, we first must acknowledge that community pharmacists are trained to expand knowledge and support the individual, uh, facilitate hearing care for their patients. Uh, therefore, uh, they can perhaps establish a simple, uh, I would call it a three-stage process, right? So one is to start with an, an informal screening, like Dr. Hoover mentioned, uh, probably add a, a quick observation uh, which should not take more than a few seconds. For example, 
They can take note of the patient who asks to repeat a statement the pharmacist made or responds with the short, uh, non-committal answers. I'm thinking that technicians can play a vital role in raising an alert as they serve at the point of sale. Uh, pharmacists can evaluate through the consultation window or in the examination slash uh, evaluation room where they are typically uh, seeing patients for their vaccinations, medication therapy management, uh, and various consultations. So also uh, do note uh, the patient uh, who's hospitalized often has fallen or has complaints of forgetfulness. Uh, these are the patients that, uh, that you can focus on to consult with. Uh, we know that the risk of dementia is up to five times greater and the risk of falling is up to three times greater in people with hearing loss left untreated. So for a little more formal screening, like again, Dr. Hoover mentioned, perhaps have them fill out the hearing handicap inventory for older people screening while they wait for their prescriptions or to receive their vaccines. I know a great opportunity is presenting itself for hearing loss screening in the context of Fall Prevention Awareness Week, which is around the mm-hmm. corner. It will start on September the 18th through the 24th. Second, uh, invest in building bridges with local audiologists and auto laryngologists. Form a relationship-based interprofessional team with, with whom you can collaborate quickly and efficiently. Perhaps agree on a referral template with screening scores, fax to their offices, or use other electronic means. Fostering a culture of interprofessional collaboration and care in your practice is absolutely critical. Let's not forget that the community pharmacist may be the only healthcare provider on the healthcare team who can help. And lastly, but not least, learn about, you know, just take the time to learn about the hearing aid brands that your patients are using or are going to be using, uh, look into battery issues, uh, various insurances and coverages, and what they cover and, and uh, you know, and when it's necessary to refer out, uh, that's, that's critical. So this can uh, also help the pharmacist use his or her time efficiently. As the saying goes, when, when there's a will, there's a way. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, you're right. And I'm glad you wrapped that Falls Prevention Week. I know it's near and dear to many of us to make certain that we build awareness on that. And uh, students are always surprised to hear that, oh, when people have hearing loss, they have an increased risk of falls. And this has been said time and time again today throughout this conversation. So great pickup on that and the timeliness of all of this. Thank you. And so when we think about screenings and things like that, is there a way that pharmacists could be paid for such time in screenings if they do get even more involved than just, you know, oh, you should probably get your hearing checked kind of thing? Dr. Brandt, I think you were going to comment on on this. Yeah, thank you, Dr. Bartlett. And I think Dr. Mansour set the stage of some tactics. And I think it's important to think that pharmacists practice across multiple care settings. Some settings may afford us more time than others to do screenings and also opportunities to do billing. So I think as a pharmacist, you know, I think it's important that we educate ourselves about these new devices, which they in themselves could get reimbursed to our particular practice per se as a way of getting some additional funding. In terms of time and screenings, incorporating it into your workflow. So if you're getting older adult and or their caregiver prepared for a medication review or medication therapy management service, you could have them do some of this work ahead of time. It'll help set the stage. I have to tell you, 
when I do not pre-screen someone for hearing impairment when we see them for the first time, you know, or hear from our staff that this person has some hearing impairment. Sometimes we might hear from our medical assistant or a technician. It takes exponentially longer. So our practice invested in some of these devices. And so it really helps for those clinical encounters to be more efficient and effective as well. Pharmacists are developing collaborative practice agreements, as you know, Dr. Bartlett, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it makes me think that this is another opportunity to develop that collaborative agreement with different types of physicians, as we're talking with, and other providers on the team. So I really think it's a niche that pharmacists can help in different facets, and depending on your practice setting, your scope of practice, your collaborative agreements that exist, I think it's something to think about. I also think the annual wellness visit, which is traditionally underutilized by older adults, um, Mm -hmm. could be another place to incorporate this type of screening. And that's actually one of the activities we do with our interprofessional team. And that's part of this collaboration that developed because of our students helping us with these annual wellness visits um, and the importance of the hearing aspect. And it really was what I called one of the silver linings from the pandemic because we were doing so much more telehealth visits um, Mm -hmm. that in order to do a successful telehealth visit, we had to ensure that there was good ability to hear us. And then how did we do different approaches to address that potential limitation? So again, I may not have answered all the ways in which you could get paid, but I think it really depends on your practice setting how you're getting reimbursed for your services and how can you expand some of those uh, services that you're providing. Yeah, for sure. And then just for those that are interested, how do we build this up? How do we build up our knowledge and what do we need to know as pharmacists in order to assist older adults with hearing loss? And Dr. Hoover, I think you are going to take this. We included in the article, so the first thing I want to mention is that there are some patients for which their hearing loss is related to an underlying medical condition. And so I think something that's very important for pharmacists to know if they're talking to someone who has concerns about their hearing is when should that person be referred to a physician? And uh, so we have that listed. We compiled across multiple sources and and put a list of those things there. There's about 10 of them. I'd be happy to go through them now if if you want to. Yeah. If you want to just even take, highlight a couple of them, that would be very helpful. Yeah. If they have had drainage or dis charge from their ear recently, such as in the past six months, if they have sudden or rapidly progressing hearing loss in one or both ears progressing over the past six months, you know, age-related hearing loss progresses very slowly, which is part of the reason people delay so long before getting care. It's just changing at a very slow rate. If it happens more quickly, and we mean over the course of weeks or months, maybe even overnight, then they should go to the physician. If they have dizziness, if they have excessive cerumen or earwax or some object in their ear, if they have pain or discomfort, certainly under the age, anyone under the age of 18, yeah, a lot of a high severity of hearing loss. And then also if that hearing loss is related to any sort of medical disorder, that, like known, a known medical disorder that they've got, we have a list of them there, but if there's a potential that it, that it is a secondary effect of, of some known medical disorder that they have, uh, then that would be the other the, yeah. uh, reason. Okay. So fast, we want to, we're concerned, <laughs> mm-hmm. which makes sense. And I think, yeah. I think that makes a, so, a good ease into, you know, being able to screen and, and help. In that if regard. I may though, I, I kind of wanted to point out though, that the, for, for patients coming into an audiology office, the prevalence of an underlying medical condition is, is fairly low. It's about three to 5%. Okay. 
So that is something that patients are very concerned about oftentimes, at least when they come to audiology. But as we talked about before, hearing loss is kind of a normal part of healthy aging. If we live long enough, we, we get hearing loss. So it, it's very unusual to have you know, very healthy peripheral hearing into, into old age. So nevertheless, you know, keep, keep an eye out for those things. But also, you know, something that I think that it's important for to educate pharmacists about, or, or, or if, I, if I can use this platform, is, mm-hmm. to, is how to communicate with older adults effectively who are hard of hearing, have difficulty communicating because of their hearing. Mm-hmm. And so I think one thing I've learned through this IPE program is that pharmacists that work with older adults tend to already know this to some extent because they have the experience of difficulty communicating with patients with untreated hearing loss. Many older adults do have untreated hearing loss. So many people probably already know these things, but just to sort of go through, uh, it's very important to face the person that you're talking to and make sure that they can clearly see your face, you're well lit. Of course, masks make this very difficult. And the clear, there's clear masks with a viewing window. That doesn't seem to provide much benefit. Someone really needs an unobstructed view of your face. Mm-hmm. But you know that may or may not be possible or appropriate for other reasons. Things you can do about the way you talk. It's very important to speak slowly, to use clear speech. Clear speech is much easier to understand. And uh, people, you, you can speak very clearly with effort, although we tend to speak quickly and, and not clearly oftentimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but slow is more important than loud. If yes. you need, if for the person to, if the person is actually unable to hear you, project your voice like you would maybe if you were on stage, as opposed to shouting. Shouting is not going to help. You want to speak kind of as normally and clearly as possible, but you know, project your voice. And also related to sound, you know, try to eliminate sources of background noise, reverberation, uh, if possible, when you're communicating with, some, you know, communicating with someone who is hard of hearing. It's best to do it in a quiet room. But you know, if that room is small and echoey, like a bathroom, that's not ideal either. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you certainly don't want a lot of background music, other voices, a television, that's going to, a person who is hard of hearing, the effect of hearing loss on their ability to hear uh, really makes it difficult to pull out your voice from other background sounds. It's as if that background sound is just turned up much higher. So being able to control that, that physical environment in that way tends to be very beneficial. Yeah. It's great, great ideas for sure. And definitely something that I know pharmacy students are taught too when they're taking courses in geriatrics and that whole communication. So great tips for sure. And they are helpful. And in practice, you can see that difference when you're speaking with older adults. So I just wanted to move on and thinking about coverage for hearing tests and hearing aids. It's been sparse at best for folks. And and I think it causes some of the delay too, quite frankly, and in someone being screened for hearing loss. So with the OTC hearing aids that are coming out and how exciting is this, I'm just curious to know, do you know anything about the costs? And do you think that we will be able to, you know, folks in general will be able to afford these? And I'd just like you to share your thoughts in regards to what you might have found throughout this collaboration and regarding the ability for individuals to afford and maintain hearing aid devices too, because that's a whole other side of not only getting the hearing device, but maintaining it. So Dr. Herzano, I I think you were going to lead us off with this. Thank you. And I I will start, but I I think I will pass it on to Dr. Hoover, who's (laughs) really in the center of uh, some of his research. 
Over-the-counter hearing aids are going to eliminate some of the uh, testing costs that certainly for people that uh, do not have insurance is a, is a barrier. They are also cheaper than official hearing aids that are prescribed in the clinics by, depending on, on the device, it can be by 50% to much more if you choose a top-of-the-line hearing aid. They're not cheap, though. My understanding is that the price point for many of them is going to be around $800. There is a second type of devices, uh, personal amplification devices, that are significantly cheaper, but they're not over-the-counter hearing aids. I believe that the hope is that there two things are going to happen. One is that there are going to be a lot more over-the-counter hearing aids, and the price point will decrease over mm-hmm. time. The second is that with more people using over-the-counter hearing aids, the stigma of wearing mm-hmm. a hearing aid will decrease. At this point, when we tell someone that they have a hearing loss, that requires amplification. On average, it takes seven years before they obtain treatment. And it turns out that the barrier is more stigma than financial. So our hope is that with over-the-counter hearing aids being more uh, affordable and for people seeing the benefit of them and and talking about them uh, with, with their friends and families, it's going to become more socially acceptable, uh, just like wearing glasses is socially acceptable. Nobody mm-hmm. thinks uh, it is a significant handicap. But I'm uh, curious to hear uh, Dr. Hoover's thoughts on the topic. Mm-hmm. Sure, yeah. This is uh, closely related to my research. We just submitted a manuscript yesterday mm-hmm. to a journal in this in this domain, not specifically about cost, but the, the changes that are coming with with the FDA creation of this new category of devices that are over-the-counter hearing aids, you know, meant to be sold direct to consumers versus through an audiologist uh, for them to kind of self-treat hearing loss. Uh, it is a very exciting time uh, with this happening right now. In audiology, uh, in especially in hearing aid specialty, this is, this is a, a rare, very exciting time for us. Cost is a barrier. It's not the only barrier, as Dr. Tano mentioned. Uh, insurance coverage for hearing care is poor generally. And uh, but that is kind of changing. More insurance companies recently have been providing hearing aid benefits and/or some option for hearing aid benefits. And there was the potential recently for a huge change in this, where uh, Medicare coverage explicitly excludes hearing aids. But the Build Back Better bill was going to change that by providing coverage for hearing aids for people with significant hearing loss, moderate to severe hearing loss. That part of Build Back Better got cut in the final bill, which was renamed the Inflation Reduction Act. They cut everything. Senator Manchin and others wanted to cut anything that would potentially increase inflation and the federal government providing hearing aids for everyone on Medicare with moderate or or worse uh, hearing loss would have definitely increased demand for hearing aids at least. So that kind of makes sense. But a little bit of a, um, maybe that's coming in the future, better better insurance coverage for for hearing aids. And that ultimately, like it's the fact, it's really the fact that the patient has to pay out of pocket for the treatment of their hearing loss is the reason why cost is an issue at all. But of course, OTC devices are, are now going to, you know, the, the uh, final rule by the FDA was released last month. The rule goes into effect uh, at the end of October. And so these devices are coming to store shelves. Currently on the um, shelf at the CVS down the street from where I'm sitting right now, I verified last week for my class that they sell a device that is under the FDA. It's called a personal sound amplification product. It looks like a hearing aid and it costs under $20 for one device. Those devices have been available for a while. They couldn't be marketed for sale as hearing aids for for treatment for hearing loss. 
starting in October, that exact device will be able to be marketed as long as it meets the regulatory uh, requirements of the new device, but they're intended to be minimal. The, the whole goal of creating this new device category was to remove a lot of the regulatory barriers that uh, ended up putting a, a lot of cost burden on manufacturers and limiting the development. And so are the prices of the devices going to go down? Many things affect the price of a device. Uh, one of those things is the value. And we know that providing devices to people who are hard of hearing and can benefit from amplification, they receive a lot of value from those devices. There are huge uh, personal and health costs of untreated hearing loss. Amplification can ameliorate that to some extent. And so if the price is based on the value received by the, by the patient, the price could be high. But the FDA sort of has done its best. And really, that was the goal of creating this OTC category is to put the thing on store shelves, eliminate a lot of the regulatory and a lot of the you know, a lot of regulatory burden of getting the devices onto the market and also eliminate the requirement that they be sold through an audiologist or a licensed hearing care provider, which is now for uh, hearing aids that are, that are not going to be called sort of prescription hearing aids, the hearing aids as they exist right now prior to the implementation of this. And so th those will be sold. Those are coming to retail pharmacy, to Amazon, I suspect to the, to the counter where the person has questions about their health that they bring to their pharmacist. They might be bringing devices and saying, please help me with this. It's not helping me. I can't get it in my ears or it's whistling constantly. You know, I think whether, whether you like it or not, I think that this is, I, I think that the pharmacist will soon be an integral part of hearing healthcare. As a professional, which which I think is a great thing, but mm -hmm. and I, and I've I've one thing I've learned through this IPE program is how great it will be when pharmacy is involved with hearing healthcare more. But you know, because of that, I think with patients for for whom this OTC device is not meeting their needs or is not something that they can they can handle without uh, other counseling or education or personalization, then. The person that they, they they should refer those patients on and be confident in referring them on to to audiology or other hearing care providers. My bias is in audiology because that's you know my students are, are <laughs> learning to become audiologists. But mm -hmm. yeah, that's yeah. I think I think that is coming, and so pharmacists should definitely be be aware of that. Definitely good news, but. I could ask a million and one questions, but we are running out of time and I do want to wrap things up a bit. So I would like at this time just to hear from each of you. I always like to take this time and think about our students, our pharmacy students or practitioners that really might want to, you know, embrace this and, and really help older adults maybe start and investigate and be a part of this new way of thinking of pharmacists helping out with hearing loss too. So I would just like to know, you know, what are, what are some pearls? What would you tell a pharmacy student or somebody in practicing pharmacy that wants to begin a hearing screening service? If each one of you could maybe comment on that, I would love that. Dr. Bartlett, I could go first. Great. I think, so I think a shameless plug is read our article. It's a great <laughs> review for students and practitioners as we've illuminated some of the discussion points today. But I think for all of us as practitioners, uh, what I continuously learn is reaching out to my colleagues across my care settings that can help me help our older adults and caregivers meet their needs. So I think whether you're a pharmacist or a pharmacy student, is just ask questions. Who's in this space? Who can I collaborate with? 
And especially for our pharmacy students, they have that wonderful opportunity during their rotations to really interview and discuss the roles of the other interprofessional team members, whether that's at the hospital, whether that's in an ambulatory care clinic, whether that's in a nursing home or assisted living facility. So I think hopefully this discussion today will just showcase the richness of working together and how we learn from each other. But I think I would just really encourage our trainees as well as our practitioners to just go out there and meet your colleagues. Mm, Great. And Daniel, did you want to comment maybe? Sure. I can uh, definitely echo uh, Dr. Brayens and I'd like to um, direct the attention of the audience to uh, maybe practicing more interprofessional collaboration having healthy teamwork, great communication. Reach out to the audiology students in your area. Lots of them are learning from pharmacy students too. Lots about Mm -hmm. medication-induced hearing uh, issues in general and uh, vice versa. So there's a plethora of energy, uh, beautiful energy that could uh, come out of this uh, collaboration. I'd like to refer uh, the audience to the IPEC 2016 competencies of interprofessional work, and maybe that would help them. That's great. Thank you so much. And um, yeah, so, and um, Rona, would you like to comment on any ideas? I I truly believe that not only is this an opportunity for collaboration, but this is really a field in its infancy. Mm -hmm. Uh, There is a lot to learn when it comes to hearing health. And truth is that with the prevalence of hearing loss, the best candidates are going to be the pharmacists as well as the primary care physicians for screening and answering patient questions, but really when it comes to devices, it is going to be the pharmacist. There is a lot happening right now with our biotech and industry partners, and I'm sure that there are going to be a lot of uh, online training options, other other uh, training opportunities uh, for pharmacists that are going to come from that direction. For this reason, and also because of the importance of uh, the, the topic overall, There should be programs that are developed in collaboration between audiologists, otolaryngologists, and pharmacists for education of the next generation and already practicing pharmacists. And I think that the program that we started well in advance of uh, the release of the -the over-the-counter hearing aids is a seed, but hopefully that that will grow in our school and in many schools across the country to much uh, larger and substantial programs, uh, maybe even something that will uh, be part of the uh, main bread and butter of pharmacists in the future. That's great. And Eric, any last words of wisdom? hundred years ago, people used to wait years before treating their difficulty with vision, their vision loss. Now people wait on average about six weeks from the time they notice difficulty seeing to when they go get their vision tested. And treatment occurs right at the, at the site. You know, you can, you can get your vision tested and get glasses and walk out the door with those. But with hearing, it's A recent study showed it was seven years from the time someone went to the audiologist and got their hearing tested before they got hearing aids. And other studies have shown it can be as much as 13 years from the time they first notice that they have difficulty hearing until they get that treatment. So I just want to encourage pharmacists to refer, maybe refer the patient to uh, OTC devices that that they might be selling, refer to audiology, ENT, other hearing care providers. But, you know, try to encourage patients that you that you interact with that do have difficulty hearing to do something about that. That's great. I cannot thank each of you enough for this awesome podcast that you just shared with me. I just really have learned so much from all of you. And I love this idea of interprofessionalism 
and sharing into professionalism in a podcast. It's wonderful. So I can't thank you enough. Um, thank you so much for being with me today. And I just want to take another minute too and just say thank you to our listeners. You're caring for the older adults, either through your practices or personal lives even. And those who just even want to learn more about the health of older adults, I just think it's great that you've listened in and hopefully you've learned as much as I've learned today. So thank you for listening on such an important topic. And we will be definitely seeing more of this and I'm sure more articles coming out too. But I just want to remind our listeners too that this particular article they can read about in the Senior Care Pharmacist publication. And the article is called Senior Care Pharmacists, Audiologists, and Otologists Improving Hearing Health for Older Patients Through Interprofessional Collaboration. It can be found in the July 2022 publication of the Senior Care Pharmacist. Thank you all for being here. I greatly appreciate your input today. Thank you for and having us. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. And I just want to wrap things up and just say thank you again, everyone, for listening in to the Senior Care Podcast. I'm Donna Bartlett, your host. Until next time, be well. Take care. You're listening to Senior Rx Radio, brought to you by ASCP. Visit us online at ASCP.com slash podcasts. ASCP, empowering pharmacists, transforming aging.